We're looking at Luke 18. Um, in our church, we, uh, we just go right through books of the Bible uh, as we're teaching. Uh, we've been looking at Genesis, the life of Abraham. Uh, that, uh, in the fall up to Christmas, we're going to be looking at the last part of Luke. We've been looking at Luke uh, in the kind of springtime for the last three years. And now we're going to be finishing it from now into June. And uh, so we're in Luke uh, Luke 18, this is right at the end of Jesus' life. It's some of his most intense teaching and uh, a lot of conflict Jesus is going to be in these, uh, these next few months as we, uh, as we follow him to the cross and eventually to his resurrection. So um, this is uh, Luke 18, verses 1 through 8. Let's read together. This is God's word to you. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while, uh, for a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not be <coughs> down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you uh, for how many passages of scripture are so strange and mysterious to us when we first encounter them, and yet when we study them, when we ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us, um, you reveal our hearts, and you draw us near to yourself, you encourage us, you teach us in ways that we wouldn't have expected. We ask that your Spirit would come now and be our teacher, as we study this passage about praying and learning to pray. We confess to you that prayer is so hard. Uh, we struggle to do it. We struggle to know how to do it. Uh, we struggle to have the strength to do it. We ask that you use this passage to teach us to talk with you, to bring our sorrows, our burdens, our needs to you, and that we would become a praying community, a praying church that does cry out to you together day and night. And we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Jesus. He prays for us. And we invite you into this time now, Jesus. So uh, this morning we are uh, looking at an interesting, uh, interesting parable from the Lord Jesus. And, you know, it's always nice in one of Jesus' parables when the biblical author tells you up front what it means or what it's about. And uh, Luke does that here in verse 1. He says right at the outset, uh, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. So I had... Luke says, if you're giving a sermon on this, your two points should be <laughs> always pray and do not lose heart. So that's, uh, it's very nice when they say up front to you about. The problem is, uh, at least for me, as I come to a passage like this, um, the parable that follows says almost the exact opposite of what would cause me to want to pray continually and to not lose heart. It, it's, uh, it's not what I want to hear. Actually, it seems to me on the surface that Jesus' kind of line of reasoning in this parable is um, is the very line of reasoning that causes my spiritual life to be stifled and causes me to not want to talk to God. Um, because, you know, 
what's, what's this parable about? It's about a, a you know, poor widow who's suffering miserably. And the God figure in this parable is a harsh judge who doesn't care about people. He doesn't care what people think about them. He doesn't care about their needs. He doesn't respect man. And so this widow has to come and nag him continually until he's so sick of hearing from her that finally he just gives her what she wants so that she'll uh, get off his case. And uh, that's kind of the opposite of what makes me want, you know, the vision of God that makes me want to, want to pray. And actually, you know, as you look at Jesus' other teaching on prayer, um, <laughs> he, he says that, um, you know, we shouldn't pray like the, uh, uh, like the pagans do. The way that the, that the pagans prayed, uh, you know, back in Jesus' day is they go before their gods and they continually have all these words where they're talking and talking and talking until they're trying to beat, you know, these... Uh, uh, they're pagan gods and finally relenting and giving them what they want. He says, don't pray like the pagans. You know what? Your God is a father. He already knows everything you need. Just talk to him. And then he gives this little prayer, the Lord's Prayer, which, you know, if you read the Lord's Prayer, it takes about 15 seconds uh, to read. It's very simple. He's giving this, just ask God. You know, he's a father. He loves you. And then Jesus says, I want to encourage you to always pray. And he gives us this picture of a harsh judge um, who doesn't care and, and, and is unbending. And that we have to completely hammer, we got to work and work and beg and beg and hammer him until finally gets, gets us to do what we want. And, um, uh, you know, and I think that prayer, at least for me, is, is hard enough as it is. It's, it's unnatural enough as it is. But then to add on to it, that God is an unbending judge who I have to, like, bend to my will. By completely, you know, continually coming through. What is this talking about? Why? How? How does this work? <laughs> what is Jesus trying? How is, how is Jesus going to get us to always pray and not lose heart by giving us this picture? Well, you know, there's this guy Dick Lucas, who's a uh, he's a pastor for many years in uh, in London, and, uh, and he was saying that uh, you know, oftentimes reading the Bible is kind of like being Sherlock Holmes. You know, um, Sherlock Holmes and all the Sherlock Holmes you know, shows and movies and things. There's the detective who works in the police department, who, you know, he comes to the crime scene, and whatever it appears to be on the surface, the, the crime, he just takes their face value. He says, oh, yeah, it must have been the wife who killed the husband here. And, and, and Sherlock Holmes does some digging, and pretty soon he finds clues that show that, the, that what's on the surface completely falls apart. And Dick Lucas says that that's oftentimes how we have to read the Bible, like Sherlock Holmes, and we need to find clues to find out that what it appears to be saying on the surface is not at all what it's saying. Because one of the things that Jesus knows is that prayer is one of the most unnatural things for us to do. It is not natural for us to go to God and tell Him our needs. And yet at the same time, it's probably the most unnatural thing for you to do, and yet it's the most essential part of a life of faith. That is what a life of faith is. It is being dependent on grace, being dependent on God's forgiveness. And so what Jesus does, I think, in this passage is... Uh, He's going to tell us two things, to always pray and to not lose heart. But he's going to do it by showing us why we don't pray. Why don't we pray? Well, it's prayer is so simple to just tell God what's in my heart. Why is that so hard? He's going to reveal that in our hearts with these two points, okay? So, two points. Always pray. Do not lose heart, okay? So first, always pray. Now, um, Jesus begins a parable in verse 2, if you have it in front of you. Uh, by describing these two characters involved in the story. He said in a certain city there was a judge 
who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now, I think that each of these um, characters, the, the widow and the judge, each tell us something about what we need to have kind of a lifestyle of prayer, for prayer to be something that we regularly do. So first, the widow. And the widow shows us that a praying person is a desperate person. People who pray are people who are desperate. Because, you know, in Jesus', in Jesus they actually, in, our, in many cultures in our day, uh, a widow would be one of the most vulnerable uh, people in all society. They don't, have, uh, they don't have the main person there to protect them from, uh, you know, uh, crime and injustice or to provide for them. Uh, they don't have an advocate. They don't have a family structure that uh, uh, to provide for them security. And so um, Jesus is giving us a picture of someone who's in a weak and kind of helpless state. And it says there um, uh, in, uh, you know, in this case, he actually has someone who's, who's taking advantage of her in some way. It says in verse 4, for, for a while uh, the judge refused to give her, ju uh, to give her justice. Uh, for a while... He refused, but afterward, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. And what, you know, so you have this scene where here's this judge, you know, he's a busy man, and he just keeps getting voices from this woman, you know, she's knocking on his door, she's, uh, she's, you know, right there when he comes back from court, she's waiting, you know, hey, have you gotten to my case yet, have you gotten to me? she's not, you know, voicemails, seven voicemails, Emails, you know, his email is, is full of emails from this woman. She's badgering him. And the thing that's giving her the energy to do that's motivating her to do that is because she's desperate. She has no other choice. There's no one else I can go to. There's no other way I can control this situation. And, um, and what Jesus is saying um, is, why don't we pray? The reason we don't pray is because we refuse to acknowledge that we cannot manage our lives. We cannot control our lives and make our lives be what we want it to be on our own. We cannot make people be who we want them to be on our own. And so we are desperate for God to help us. And so what Jesus is saying is the beginning of being a person who prays is that we see this widow and we see that's us. That's us. Um, or uh, as Paul Miller uh, puts it, learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. Learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. Is when we get used to the fact that we're weak, that we cannot manage our lives on our own, and that is when we begin to open our mouths and actually talk to God. And, um, you know, it's if that's true, that the beginning of prayer is having a sense of de desperation and weakness, then prayer is actually going to sound a lot different than we often imagine what prayer is going to sound like. You know, I, I've uh, found in, in my life that as I've grown in my Christian life, my prayers have become a lot less formal, and a lot, but a lot, a lot more frequent. You know, um, I, I, in the beginning of my Christian life, it was, I needed to find these eloquent things. I thought a lot about, you know, it was, it was usually in a church setting, and I'm holding hands with people, and my turn comes to pray. I've been kind of crafting it while everyone else is praying, and now I've got the perfect words, and, you know, kind of, okay, here we go, and I'm going to get, it's a big formal thing. As I've grown, it's, it, it's, you would be so bored listening to my prayers. It's like, just 
spit it out. What's your point? This is so hard to follow. What are you talking about? But it's frequent. They're short little utterances that I'm saying to God. It's very informal because I'm, I'm learning to give God what's really in my heart. And it's just little things. You know, often there's just groans. I'm like, oh, God, help me. <laughs> you know, just things like that. It's just, and you're like, oh, please, don't, don't have to listen to this. Jesus understands what I'm saying. <laughs> he interprets it. What God cares far more about is that we are real with him. Is our, he wants our real hearts far more than he wants formality. He wants our real hearts more than he wants formality. Yeah, J.C. Ryle, um, uh, who's, uh, he was an old Anglican pastor maybe 100 years ago. He has a little booklet on prayer. This is what he says. Fear not because your prayer is stammering, your words feeble, and your language poor. Jesus can understand you. Just as a mother understands the first lispings of her infant, so does the blessed Savior understand sinners. He can read a sigh and see a meaning in a groan. I love that. He says, Jesus is like a mother. <laughs> we're like little children talking, and he knows what we're saying. And you know, no one else understands it. He can interpret them. He understands our groans. And that's how he wants us to come to him. And, you know, and, you know for many of you, you say... You know, part of the reason I struggle to pray is I'm not sure what to say. You know, maybe you're just learning to pray. Maybe you're a new Christian. You say, how do I say these things? Well, also God's giving you the Holy Spirit to guide you. You know, for many people, the reason that we struggle to pray is because we want to have a very spiritual prayer where we say important things. And, and so we have all these things that we want to say, and our mind is going, wandering all over the place to other things that are occupying our life. And we're like, no, get back, get back to the things I was praying and, but you know what? You need to follow the Holy Spirit. It, it may be very much the, the spiritual prayer is actually to follow where your mind's going. Because your mind is probably going to the things that are causing anxiety, causing uh, people in your life that are, are burdening your heart and uh, things that, that are troubling you. And those are the things that God actually wants you to talk to Him about. And so if your mind's wandering, follow where it's going and talk to God about those things. Because those are probably, that's in your heart where the desperation is. And that's probably what God wants you to talk to him about. So the beginning of a praying life is to feel the sense of desperation. And, um, you know, uh, to quote Ryle again, um, this is printed on page three of your bulletin if you want to read along with me. Um, he says this, All the children of God on earth are alike in this respect. From the moment there is any life and reality about their religion, they pray. Just as the first sign of life in an infant when born into the world is the act of breathing. So the first act of men and women when they are born again is praying. God has no dumb children. It is as much a part of their new nature to pray as it is of a child to cry. They see their need of mercy and grace. They feel their emptiness and weakness. They cannot do otherwise than they do. They must you know, babies that way it doesn't even think about it. It's when it has needs, when it's hungry, it cries out. And what uh, what Ryle's saying is, when we're born again, when we uh, come into a new life with God, that's the first thing to do because we know our weakness and helplessness. We know we're desperate. We talked about. Okay. So the widow in the story first shows us the reason we don't pray is because we don't feel our weakness and desperation. But also the judge in the story shows us that the reason we don't pray is because of our view of God. Is because of the way we see God. Um, and um, I think it is on this point that Jesus' teaching is very subtle, but it's very convicting. 
because um, the picture you give gives, um, it, 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 like I said, is in many ways uh, the very opposite of we have how we hope God to be. Here's a harsh judge who doesn't want to be bothered by this woman who's got problems. And he says, can you just leave me alone? And he's very harsh and very distant. But what's amazing about this parable is, um, is that what it says is that if you really have a sense of desperation, you really have a sense you're like this widow, you really feel that you're helpless and you can't do anything to manage your life, to, uh, uh, to, to control your life and to make it go the way it is. If you have that, if you even have a grain of hope that this person can help you. I mean, here's this, this harsh judge, but this, this widow has some little teeny grain of hope that you know, there's a possibility that this guy could help me and would help me. If you have those two things, a strong sense of desperation, even a small grain that this person will help me, then you'll begin to speak to them, and you'll ask them for help, and you talk to them. And what Jesus is saying is when we don't pray, what that means is it's not that we, not only that we see God this way as a harsh judge, and that that's our nature to think that God is harsh and that he doesn't care about us, but we think that God is worse than the judge. Because if we were desperate... And thought that, that even if God was at least like this judge, we'd go and talk to him and, and badger him until he helped us. We don't even think that God is that good. And so we don't even talk to him. We might as well just manage it ourselves. And you get a hint um, that... Uh, um, hold on. Um, you get a hint of this in verse... Uh, sorry, I'm lost here. <laughs> well, okay, let me, let me just say this. Um, now, I understand that most of us aren't that way. We don't just uh, see God as a harsh judge who doesn't care about our prayers. We're mostly a mixture, most of us. Some of us pray more times than others. Sometimes, we, you know, we believe that God loves us. We feel that in our, in our hearts. We're talking to Him. We feel our desperation. Other times, we don't. We think we can manage our life or that we've sinned too much and that God doesn't want to hear from us and I need to make up my sins before God's going to hear from us. Um, but... Um, what you see here uh, is that the reason that Jesus is telling this parable the way he is, is he's aiming at the way that we view God. He wants to reveal in our hearts, what is your view of God? And you can see that in verse 6, where he says this, And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? What's the logic here? He's saying, listen, this woman is desperate, and she goes to a judge who's harsh and distant and badgers him. How much better is God? Who, you know, to his elect, who, who will give justice to his elect. What he's saying is, you're God's chosen people. God came and pursued you. You didn't, you didn't even ask God to come to your life. He pursued you before you even pursued him. It was his idea to come to you. And now we think he's not going to listen to you now. He loves you. You know, you know I, I, I'm always telling my kids that uh, God's chosen them. And, you know, when I'm talking to them, I say, you know, you know why did God put you in this family? Because uh, he chose you. He, wants, he, he has a plan for your life. He's chosen you to be a light to the world. He's chosen you to grow up and know him. And he has a purpose for your life. And, he, and whose idea was that? Was that your idea or was that God's idea? It was God's idea. It wasn't my idea. And, you know, it's amazing to me that the more I tell my children that they're chosen, it, it never creates in them any kind of sense of superiority, like, oh, I'm chosen, and someone else isn't. All, all it creates in them is a sense of wonder that God actually really loves me. And I didn't do anything to deserve that. 
He came to me first. So how much more? If God, if God is that much better than this judge, how much more should we go to him and, and seek, ju seek justice or bring our needs and our sorrows to him, knowing that he loves us? And um, that's what Jesus is saying here. God is not distant and inactive. Look at how active he's already been in our life. Look at how active he is that he's already brought you here and that he's pursued you in your life. How much more is he going to respond to you when you come when you come and talk to him? He wants you to talk to him. That's why he that's why he chose you. That's why he saved you. He wants you to talk to him. And uh, I think that this is uh, is what leads us to praying always. It is the combination of knowing that we are desperate, and yet also the wild truth that God actually loves us. He actually wants to hear things. He actually wants to hear the things that we have to tell him. And he's way better than judge. And what Jesus is doing is he's revealing our heart that this is how we see God. And he says, look at how much God, better God is. And you know, if that's true, you know, that, that God pursued us way before we pursued him, before we even started asking him to work in our lives, he was already working, that should cause us to approach him with boldness. You know, that's another thing the widow shows us, is that she comes to the judge with boldness. She doesn't, uh, you know, she's talking to him. Uh, she's banging on his door. She says, give me justice. Give me justice. How much more can we be bold with God with our needs? Does he want us to tell him, these are the things we need. These are the things that I hope you to do. These are the things that I hope you to do in, in this person's life. This is what I hope you to do in my family. This is what I hope you to do in my workplace. This is the ways that I hope uh, for you to change. This is the, these are the ways that I hope for you to provide for me. To be bold. God invites us to be bold with him. Okay? So, um, now, I'm, I'm speaking fairly broadly, uh, generally about prayer. But in this passage, it's actually, um, Jesus is talking about a specific kind of boldness. Um, a specific thing to be praying about. Not, not just all things in general, but particularly um, to be seeking justice from God. You know, that's what the, the widow is asking for. Give me justice. And um, so that leads to the second part of Luke's two points. That first, that... Uh, Jesus wants us to pray always, and then we can. We're desperate, and he's good, so we should pray always. But second, that we should not lose heart. That we should not lose heart. And, um, you know, for those of you, if, you, if you're new to reading the Bible, if you haven't uh, read much of the Bible, uh, you know, one thing that's important to know is that the chapter breaks in the Bible, you know, it says we're in chapter 18. That's actually not a part of the Bible. Uh, that, that's something that's added later just to help us get around the Bible. And sometimes uh, chapter breaks are put in unfortunate places where they kind of sever in half a passage that's really all supposed to go together. And it gives the impression we're starting a new passage. We're really not. And, you know, that's the case here. Uh, if you were here last week, you know that I was talking about uh, the coming of the kingdom and uh, the Son of Man coming again and when he's revealed. And you can see in this passage that um, Jesus is still talking about that because there... Um, uh, in the end of verse 8, he says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Though he's still thinking about this, what he was talking about last week, about the Son of Man coming. And last week, what Jesus said to his disciples is that um, there is going to be coming a time of turmoil and persecution and suffering that they're going to face as Christians. Um, first of all, in 70 AD, just within a generation of Jesus' life, uh, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed by the Romans. The, the temple is going to be destroyed. Many uh, uh, Jews and Christians are going to be uh, killed. 
Um, there, and within that time, uh, Christians are going to be persecuted by the, the religious leaders. Uh, Nero, who was the emperor in like you know the early 60s uh, of the first century, had a massive persecution of, of, of Christians. And so these first Christians are going to face a tremendous amount of suffering. But also, he's saying that throughout church history, Christians, as the gospel goes forward, are going to face a tremendous amount of injustice. Um, we've seen that, you know, this last century uh, uh, in communist parts of the world, which is a huge uh, percentage of the, you know, geography of the world, were communist states that were that persecuted Christians uh, terribly, and you know, um, that's it's still true in China. Um, and uh, in other places, in, in, in uh, Islamic nations like uh, Sudan, uh, Christians have been massacred. It, it's still a case in many places in the world where you can be killed for being a Christian. But there's a sense of injustice. And until the time when Jesus comes, there's going to be, as a Christian, life is going to be hard. And, you know, and, and that's not just true in you know, more dramatic kind of parts of the world. It's true for us as well. You know, if, if We're going to be around people who don't believe like we do. We're going to have professors that are hostile to our faith. We're going to have family members that are hostile to our faith. And there's going to be a sense of suffering and uh, uh, being mistreated because we're Christians. And uh, there's and, and what Christians throughout history have been doing is they've been crying out to God, saying, "God, will you please deliver us from this suffering? Why? Why is my village being burned and destroyed because we're Christian? Why does that happen?" They're crying out. And so, in that regard, the widow here isn't just each of us as kind of individuals, but the widow is the church as a whole. That throughout history and even now is crying out day and night to the Lord to bring his justice, to make things right in the world. And, um, and when we're faced with that kind of suffering, that people are doing things to us, mistreating us in ways we don't want them to. We cry to God and say, God, why are you letting me suffer this? Why, why is this happening to me? You, know, you may have people that are mistreating you now or doing things, sinning against you. In ways, in, in you're waiting for God, God to make the world right. Why is that happening? And why is God letting this happen? How are you going to do this? How are you going to endure this? How are you going to not lose? How are you going to uh, not lose heart? And um, well, I think that the uh, the answer that Jesus gives to why this is all happening, why would He let us be mistreated, comes in verse seven, and it says where it says uh, Jesus says, "And will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night?" Will he delay long over them? Now, more literally, that's actually, uh, will he be patient over them? Will he delay long? Will he be patient over them? What does that mean for God to be patient over them while injustice is happening in the world? Well, there's only one other place in the New Testament where this <coughs> verb for be patient or delay long happens where God is the subject. And it's in, it's in 2 Peter 3. And this, let me read it to you. This is what it says. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. There it is, right? Is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And the reason that God is being patient in the world, why is God not bringing his justice? Why is he not bringing the kingdom? Why is he not ending all the suffering in the world right now? Is because there's more people that God is drawing to himself. Why, did, you know, why does God let um, in, you know, a fundamentalist Islamic nation uh, kill Christians? Why would God let that happen? It's because he wants to draw that nation to himself. 
He wants those, those that, that Islamic nation to be touched by his love for his love to penetrate. And if he just ended it now, there would be no chance for them. And it's not because God is being inactive, but because he's being active. And so the way that we lose heart is to know that God is at work. And that even in the places where we're suffering, where people are mistreating us, and we say, why doesn't God end this? It's because God's working. He's ruling people. He's drawing people to himself. And part of the way that he's showing the world his patience is in our suffering. And by letting us suffer. And, uh, and he says, how do you deal with that? How do you not lose heart? You pray. You tell God your, your sorrows. You speak to him. And you know that he loves you. And you know why also? Because listen, you know, will, what, is, what does Jesus say? Will not God give justice? to his, his elect ones, his chosen, chosen ones. Who's God's elect one? Who's God's chosen one? Who's the widow who has really experienced injustice in the world and has suffered under the hand of injustice and has cried out to God and has been vindicated by God? Who's the one who really cries out day and night before the throne of God on our behalf? It's Jesus, our high priest. He is the one who goes before God and, and is praying for us even now. And the way that we don't lose heart is we know that Jesus is uh, going before us and that he's the one who's praying day and night. And, uh, and he even takes our little prayers. This is, uh, um, to quote Ryle Ry one last time, he says that Jesus mingles our prayers with the incense of his own almighty intercession. So that mingled, they go up as a sweet savor before the throne of God. Poor as our prayers are in themselves, they are mighty and powerful in the hand of our heart, a high priest and elder brother. And so how do we pray always and how do we not lose heart? We look to the one who is praying always for us. And the one who did not lose heart even when he went to the cross. And it's him who will give us strength. Let's pray again. Our Lord, we thank you that you are in heaven now even praying for us. And you know how feeble our prayers are. And you know how weak our hearts are. And yet you did not lose heart. And so we come to you, clinging to you, that you would be our strength, you would be our endurance. And that you would fit, uh, keep our eyes fixed on you. And uh, Lord, we do look forward to the day when you would bring justice and you would make all, th all things right. And that there would be no more suffering world, and uh, that we would just praise you and uh, live at peace with one another. Give us endurance till that day. Help us to be faithful, and teach us to pray. Teach us to open our mouths and speak to you, to know our desperation, and to know that indeed you love us. And we pray this in Jesus' name.